This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. The Lord be with you. Welcome wherever you join us from. You are tuning in to Radio Church on this first Sunday after Christmas. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the chaplains at the University of Otago, as well as an associate minister at Knox Church. And it's a pleasure to be leading this short service of worship this morning. We're going to be looking at a passage from Luke's Gospel, Chapter 2, which features the well-known Song of Simeon. And I've found uh, a rendition of the Song of Simeon, which has recently been released by the local Christchurch group, The Fuzzy Robes. So this is The Fuzzy Robes, Song of Simeon, Nunc Dimittis. I hope you enjoy it. Was Song of Simeon by the Fuzzy Robes. Welcome back. You are tuning in to uh, Radio Church on this first Sunday after Christmas. We gather in prayer. Kia inoi tato. No mai kuhu mai e tapu. Welcome, Holy Spirit of God. Enter in and rest on us that our eyes might be opened to the Christ child in our midst. Open our lips that we too may offer our blessing to Christ, the firstborn of your new creation, through whom your promise of life is poured out in fullness. He has shared our vulnerability and weakness, our trials and our suffering. He took the violence of the world upon himself, the suffering servant, a man of sorrows, 
who, in his innocence, revealed the hateful thoughts in the innermost heart of every human being. He pierces our soul, too, revealing all that is hateful within us, and so we pray, Christ, have mercy. He has died our death. Our fall is his fall, in order that his rising may be our rising. And so we can depart in peace, knowing that through Christ there is nothing that separates us from the love of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Et tefano at karaiti family of Christ, dispersed as we are, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. And the declaration of peace. Kia tote rangamarie o te karaiti kiranga ia koto. May the peace of Christ be with you always this Christmas time. So we come to our gospel reading. And as I mentioned earlier, we are reading from Luke chapter 2. This is the story where Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus to the temple to be purified, consecrated according to the law of Moses. I'll be reading from verse 22 uh, from the NRSV version. When the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of eighty-four. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. So that reading from uh, Luke chapter 2 for this Radio Church uh, service on the first Sunday after Christmas. So one of the things that I love most about Christmas is the carol singing, the beautiful melodies, the soaring descants, the familiar lyrics, all of them dusted off at this one time of year with all the nostalgia and the familiarity that goes along with it. And some of the carols to this day never fail to send shivers down my spine. O come, all ye faithful, hark the herald, joy to the world, the list could go on. The older I get, however, the more I start to pay attention to the lyrics, and I find myself questioning some of the ways that the nativity is depicted in many of the carols we sing. Aside from the fact that Jesus is often depicted as this pristine, perfect child who doesn't even cry, who's somehow not quite fully human, I've also noticed that the Christmas we sing about has been shaped by a very 18th century European imagination. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, especially if you lived in 18th century England or Germany, but it raises the question, well, why is that our primary experience of the birth of Jesus for us here in 21st century Aotearoa? What do we lose when we view Christmas through this lens? Well, on the one hand, I think we risk losing the relevance of the birth of Jesus for our own time and place and culture grounded in this whenua. But we also risk detaching Jesus from his own context in first century Judea. And the thing is, Luke and Matthew, who both tell the the birth stories of Jesus, are at great pains to ground the nativity story in its historical first century context. For Luke, the historical context is utterly central to understanding the meaning of Jesus' birth. The Jesus we meet in Luke's gospel is unashamedly a first century Jew. And if there were any doubt about this from the birth narrative, the very next story that Luke tells, the one we heard today, makes it very clear when Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to be redeemed, as was the case for all firstborn sons in Israel, according to the law of Moses. Now, I'm not aware of any Christmas carols that retell this part of the Christmas story. It doesn't have that same sense of nostalgic sentimental charm. And to be fair, it does happen after the birth. But it's also about the same length as the birth story, indicating that Luke saw this as being fairly important to understanding what the birth of Jesus meant. So, why did the newborn Jesus need to be redeemed in the temple? And what do we mean by that, that Jesus need to be redeemed? It sounds almost blasphemous to say that Jesus needed to be redeemed, especially if we have the popular image of the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes, this perfect child. It raises the question, redeemed from what? Well, the practice of redeeming the firstborn of Israel 
goes right back to the story of the Exodus, way back in the Hebrew Scriptures. As is well known, the people of Israel were enslaved by the Egyptians. Pharaoh refused to free the people of Israel, so God sent ten plagues, as the story goes, of increasing severity upon the Egyptians. And as is well known, the tenth and final plague results in the death of all the firstborn sons in Egypt. And in order for the firstborn of the Jewish people to be spared, God instructed them to kill a lamb and to paint the blood of the lamb over their door so that the angel of the Lord would pass over. And it's that passing over from which we get the name of the Passover meal, which uh, commemorates this event from Exodus. Now, alongside the regular celebration of the Passover meal, the Jewish people were also instructed to remember the Passover by setting apart all firstborn and consecrating them to the Lord. And so the firstborn animals were sacrificed. And the firstborn male children, you'll be glad to know, weren't sacrificed, but they were symbolically redeemed through a ritual sacrifice. It was a symbolic reenactment of that initial redemptive act of God through the blood of the Lamb, and a reminder that the people of Israel no longer belong to Pharaoh as slaves. They belong to God as free people. Now, the story of the Exodus became a foundational story for the people of Israel, perhaps the defining story. The image of the Passover and the rituals associated with it profoundly shaped the identity and life of the people. And you can read about that throughout the Hebrew scriptures time and again. We see it becoming a recurring pattern through which the people of Israel come to know and be in relationship with God and participate in God's salvation every generation anew. Now Luke is drawing on that same tradition, that same pattern. But Luke is now expanding upon it in reference to Jesus. He includes the story of Jesus' consecration and redemption because it would have helped his first century readers to understand who Jesus was and what Jesus achieved through his life, death, and resurrection. So what would Luke's readers have heard? Well, with the time I have left, I briefly want to point to two things. The first is that the ritual consecration of the baby Jesus points us to the sacrificial nature of his life and death. I think Luke is saying that in the life and death of Jesus, God is taking upon himself the full cost of our freedom. You know, there's an interesting fact about um, when the people of Israel are instructed to consecrate their firstborn in the book of Exodus. The reason they're given is not to remember how God saved their firstborn, but the reason is to remember that God killed the Egyptian firstborn. 
It sounds kind of morbid, I know. But in other words, the people of Israel are never to forget the tragic cost of their freedom. Their freedom was won through the horrific death of others. We might see the relevance of this in our own history. Think of the ways we typically commemorate the First and Second World Wars, for instance. I've noticed we're often quick to celebrate the sacrifice of our own grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents who fought in the war, but we're often slower to acknowledge the tragic loss of life of those we fought against, or, for that matter, those who refused to take up arms and who were sacrificed because of their conscientious objection. In Autipodi Dunedin, it is good to see the recent unveiling of the new Archibald Baxter Memorial on George Street to commemorate the conscientious objectors, to remember the cost. In our country as well, we're only beginning to remember the New Zealand wars and the subjugation of Māori by Pākehā and the systematic robbing of Māori land. Today, Pākehā, like myself, enjoy many privileges and freedoms that have arisen from a society dominated by Pākehā laws, systems, privileges and worldviews. We have a long way to go to remember and to rectify the terrible cost that underlies those freedoms. So to return to our reading, when Jesus was set apart in the temple, the cost of freedom was inscribed into his life. In his eventual suffering and death, God was taking that cost upon himself, bearing the burden of violence, so that a path to freedom might be opened up. A path not paved with the blood of our enemies and of conscientious objectors and of people trampled down, but with the peace of Christ and the unity of the Spirit. The second thing that I think is significant is that Jesus is described as a firstborn. As we've seen, it was the firstborn who was set apart. It's not because other children weren't important, but because, as in most ancient patriarchal societies, the firstborn males were the ones who inherited the family name, the wealth, and the land. They were the future patriarchs of Israel, the ones who held the gifts of God in perpetuity for future generations, the ones through whom the promises of God were maintained and passed down. Now, interesting fact The firstborn title was used in the Hebrew scriptures to apply to the whole people of Israel. The whole people are described as God's firstborn son, the inheritors of God's gift and the holders of God's promise. And yet, by implication, it means that other nations are also included in God's family. The promises of God to prosper and live life in fullness are not only reserved for Israel, but through them those promises are poured out to include all people. In this way, we might see the killing of the Egyptian firstborn as a tragic distortion of the way God intends things to be. 
a terrible consequence of human domination and power and the violent struggle that is often necessary for freedom to be won. I wonder if Luke is inviting us to see Jesus as the firstborn, not only in his family, but the firstborn of a new humanity. Certainly this would echo St. Paul talking about Jesus as the new Adam. In Jesus' resurrection from the dead, he fulfills the salvation of Israel, even from death itself, and in doing so expands that salvation beyond death and beyond Israel to include all people, you and me included. So what does this all mean for us today? Well, if Jesus is truly coming among us in our place and our time, we might expect that he will meet us through our own cultural narratives, our patterns and our rituals, redeeming us from the inside out as well. For Luke, this was a vital part of understanding who Jesus was for him in his time to draw attention to Jesus' Jewishness and to view Jesus' redemption through the inside out of his Jewishness. So by all means, let's keep the old carols, let's add them to songs, but let's add them uh, to our own songs and prayers, our traditions earthed in this whenua that celebrate the reality of God with us here in Aotearoa. Perhaps in telling the story afresh in our own context, we will encounter the Christ child afresh, birthing salvation among us this Christmas. God be with you wherever you are this Christmas time. Amen. And to close our short service, a song of thanksgiving and praise by the well-known Kiwi artist Stan Walker. This is Whakamoimiti. I hope you enjoy it. Go in peace.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.